Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, welcome back to Fandom Power. My name is Wes R. Scott, and today I'm joined in studio by my recording partner and co-host, Scott Elder. Hey guys. And joining us today from Toronto, Ontario, our friend of the show, you've heard him before, Eric Swenson. Hey, how's everyone doing today? I am doing well, sir. How are you? I am much better than I was the last time I was on the on the show. Yeah, I think the oh. last time we talked to you, you were uh, in throes of full throes of COVID. Yeah, not 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 a fun time. No. Well, I'm glad that you're out of the the proverbial woods, as it were. Yeah, I'm <laughs> and, feeling, uh, feeling much better, and I I managed to get through it without infecting my wife and son. So. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> Miracles that's, do happen. Yeah, exactly. We're into the new year. It's 2021. Did you have a good Christmas? Uh, Christmas was all right. It was all right. It was very, very low stress compared to some years because, you know, we didn't have to go see my parents and her parents and it was all very self-contained and small and we had, had ourselves a nice turkey. Oh, okay. Good. Good. good well, times. I'm glad that you guys had a good time. So today, today's going to be a little bit different in, <laughs> in previous shows. I've sort of kind of controlled the narrative and, and kind of come up with the topics, but you, you'd pitched me an idea a while ago, but wanted to talk about, you know, you'd asked if I was open to talking about items of pop culture that I wasn't really uh, familiar on, which I think absolutely is as part of the exploratory process of, of what the show, what fandom power is supposed to be. It's a, uh, it's exposing me and, uh, and our co-hosts and our listener base to maybe other things that they aren't necessarily familiar with. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Some, sometimes you need to be the passenger in order to enjoy the ride. Yeah, I mean, I, I am totally interested in, in learning about things that I don't know about. And doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to enjoy them the same way that everybody does. But certainly, I'm, I, I think I'm open enough to, you know, at least hear what this other stuff is about. And so today's show is really going to kind of focus in on one of those things where I'm not really versed in it because I don't really do it. So today's topic is going to be fan fiction. Yes. Uh, I, I would like to preface this just because there are a lot of stigmas that go around fan fiction. Like, you, okay. it's in pop culture, you hear some sometimes, you know, well, that guy's weird. He, you know, he plays video games and writes fan fiction. And it's one of those sort of backhanded, like, oh, that guy's a weirdo type things that you hear. But really, all it is is it's, it's playtime. When, when everyone does this when they're a kid. You know, when you're out, out on the schoolyard and you're playing with your friends and, okay, I'm going to be Snake Eyes and you be Roadblock. And it's a different type of play, but it's all just play. And, and that's where I want to I, I want to approach this from because there's a, there is a stigma about it. And there are, you know, people who are going to listen to this and go, oh, you read fan fiction? That's weird. Hey, man, as a, as a 40-something... Growing up in the 1980s, I grew up in the thick of the satanic panic, right? So, you know, exactly. while while my while my friends and and, uh, and me to some degree were exploring role playing games and Dungeons and Dragons and and writing our own our own adventures, you can't tell me that we weren't stigmatized, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and some of those RPGs, some of those tabletop games, have aspects of fan fiction because you can't tell me that you know you weren't taking ideas from like. 
you know, Highlander, that's got some cool things. Yeah. Just pull something out of that and throw it into my D&D campaign or, or, or Conan or, I guess you know, whatever and, else. And for me, that's really like, that is kind of the limit of my experience with fan fiction. Like, I'm aware of fan fiction. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. I fully get it. And some, I understand that some fan fictions have actually grown to become sort of bigger than than what they were initially uh, uh, planned we'll, to be. We'll get to that later. There's a yeah. lot of that to talk about. But I mean, I, uh. I, I get it. I mean, I, as you know, our show has been pretty heavy on Star Wars mm-hmm. and it means a lot to me. So no surprise that I'm, I'm a, said it before, I'm a huge fan of, of role-playing in the Star Wars universe, regardless of what the rule set is. And so my experience with fan fiction is pretty much limited to writing adventures within the Star Wars universe, that framework. I didn't create the thing, but I sure love to play in that sandbox. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to say up front, you guys have turned me around on Star Wars, and, and I thank you for that. Oh, when, wow. I, when, we, when we did the long show, I said I was a lapsed fan, and I'm no longer lapsed. I'm back into it because of your guys' enthusiasm. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, you're back into the fold. It's a it's a great <laughs> it's a great space to be in for fans right now with what's going on with uh, the tel- the current television properties. Yeah, absolutely. So, t- touching on those games, um, part part of what fan fiction is, if if you want to go by the definition, which is very dry, but it, it I would define it as you know fiction written by a fan of and featuring aspects of uh, a particular uh, intellectual property. Yeah, sure. You can, you can write fan fiction about anything. You know, there, there are arguments that the New Testament is fan fiction of the Old Testament. There, it's, it's ridiculous to, to say out loud, but if you take it from a wide enough lens, that's something that could be said by someone. I think the idea of being inspired by something is not new. And I mean, you look at, uh, even, uh, what's the, the genre historical fiction, you know, like oh, where absolutely. on some level you, you have people who are ostensibly fans of, of history and historical events, but they want to put their own spin on it, or they want to tell stories within that space that may not have happened, but may be inspired by something. Exactly. It's, it, it comes down to the idea of fan fiction is, is, is playing with somebody else's toys. Is, is the way I like to describe sure, it. A, sure. lot of, a, a lot of what I'm going to say here is, is personal expression. I didn't do a lot of research for this. I mostly wrote down my thoughts. But um, playing with somebody else's toys. So somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I've got this great book here. You should yeah. really read it. I'm going to pick uh, Harry Potter for a random reason. Okay. And, you know, so it, it, in this book there are wizards they cast spells they use wands they do this they do that there's evil wizards that do this that and you go that's cool that's that's really cool hey did they ever do this well no the, the this story is about this and but sorry a little, little scattered on this what i find most compelling about writing fan fiction is yeah. that you can you can take something in a book actually i'm going to make this more relevant to you guys i learned that Count Dooku in yes. Star Wars. Yes. He is a master of a particular form. I believe it's form two. Okay. Of, of lightsaber combat. He's a master of a form that is particularly designed to be used against other lightsaber. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's primarily a, a, a sword, a sword fighting style that's meant to fight other swordsmen. Exactly. Yep. So that, particular piece of information just that you know 
you know, his, his lightsaber is built in a certain way, and his, his the form that he uses is designed to work in a certain way. That's not something that that I would call common knowledge. Would you agree? Uh, you you know what I would say so. I I would say to a casual Star Wars fan, uh, lightsaber forms in general would be kind of uh, you know beyond them. The idea uh, that outside the reach. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. the visual is oh, the okay, Jedi and Sith they fight with laser swords and that's what they do. But yeah. the idea of you know one style is more you know tuned to deflecting uh, blasters versus one form is more attuned for another swordsman versus another style that is maybe more aggressive and is about power strokes to take out your enemy as quickly as possible. Yeah. 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 It's all so, grounded in, in, in reality, but to a casual fan, I think it doesn't really matter. So a, a casual fan would not know half as much as somebody who was a super fan like us. Yeah. But a, a super fan could take that information and go, you know, this is an aspect of, of this story that I really like, and I feel that there's not enough done with it. No. So that can be a whole seed on and by itself is just the fact that somebody learned, you know what, there's lightsaber forms. What are these lightsaber forms about? Where do they come from? Did anyone, was there a person who just created these? And then you start snowballing from there and you come up with something that's like, you know, I feel like this is something that, I can use to, to, to base a story on and sure. jump off from there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's only one aspect of it. Like, and again, I go back to playing with someone else's toys. It's you, you're being handed a set of rules and within that set of rules, you can do anything you want as long as you're respecting the rules. Now there are different types of stories that do different things with those rules. And yeah. I'll get into that in a second, but as long as you're paying reverence to something in that, you know, set of rules, you can do whatever you want. But doesn't this kind of come from that? You joined us on the uh, on the gatekeeping and the toxic fandom episode, and we talked about sort of the origins mm-hmm. of that coming from this place of like, like you say, like a place of reverence and a place of love. So, if for for example, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Star Wars because it really has been a divisive topic in the fandom as of late with the the sequel trilogy if if you have a beloved fandom that suddenly gets turned on its ear to a way that you don't like it maybe that would be a good reason or an inspiration for you to go start writing your own stories to to sort of settle that you know your perceived wrongdoing you know what i mean exactly there there is there is always the light side and the dark side and and the dark side of fan fiction is where someone goes no you did this wrong. That was messed up. Let me show you how I'm going to fix this. Right. And, you know, writing from a place of joy and writing from a place of anger, like whatever you're using to fuel your force powers, you still have powers. You know what I mean? Yeah. To try and put it into a metaphor. So, Eric, um, from your yeah. from your point of view, now, when you're doing your... Re- are you doing rewrites? Are you creating alternate storylines? Or are you grabbing something that you like that you feel like they haven't talked about enough? Like, where where do you so push from? First, yeah, you're on the right track here. You can draw inspiration from any of those things. Um, the way I break down, like, the different styles of fan fiction, you're, you're right. One of them is, is rewrites. 
So, you know, that was messed up. This particular thing doesn't fit. I think this fits better. And boom, you write a story. Then there are, you know, things like AU alternate universe stories where, you know, you, you go back into a timeline and you say, okay, what if I change this? And instead of turning left, he goes right. Well, there you go. You it, just kind of hit it right there, Eric, when you say the words, what if. I was just thinking how how much this sounds like, you know, and, and it's fan fiction now, when you phrase it like that, isn't just limited to the to the fan community. I mean, let's let's be real about this. Some of the stuff that we're getting that's that's being pushed out by these large media companies is, is essentially professional fan fiction. Like, and the absolutely. the what if title is a perfect example of that. The the Marvel Comics title, what if, what if Peter Parker was possessed by the alien costume, or uh, you know those those other what if stories, and we're about to get what if as an animated television series. series, yeah, yeah so. You know, you can't tell me that, you know, even though these are professional writers and artists who are doing this, you can't tell me that on some level that they aren't already fans of that property, you know, to want to take it in that direction or, or even have the ability and the knowledge to take it in another direction like that. You're 100% on the nose here. What if is the original published fan fiction? It's where some writer at Marvel was like, hey, what if, what if we just did these thought experiments that we do all the time at lunch, you know, what if Wolverine never got the adamantium skeleton or, or whatever story it is that they're talking about? What if yeah. we drew this? Oh, people won't understand. Well, what if we just put it in a book and call it what if? Yeah, exactly. So brilliance in marketing, but that's kind of what it is. It's, it's just changing, changing something just a little bit. And that's, that's when you get these alternate universe what if Peter Parker had kept the suit was one of the very first things that ever inspired me to do any kind of fan fiction was that actual story. And it's like, you can, you can do that. You can, you can just change what they did. It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of how this stuff works. Hey man, DC comics did it every, you know, at least once a decade with whatever crisis was happening. We're just going to rewrite Absolutely. everything. <laughs> crisis on infinite plot lines. Yeah. <laughs> I was more of a Marvel guy, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Other sort of styles of fan fiction, you got your standard shipping, uh, which is lingo for relationshipping. Oh, yeah. So to stick to Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man X Mary Jane, Spider-Man X Black Cat, or uh, Gwen 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 Stacy, Stacy, or, you know, into the weirder ones where, you know, Spider-Man X Shocker, You, you know, people... People are into what they're into, and they're going to write what okay. they want to write. But well, that kind of leads me to that whole. I had this conversation with my wife, and she was like, she was shocked when I said this. I said, you know, uh, I said when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, and it became this like international, like everybody was reading it. I can remember, like, I was still working at the time. I was still in uniform, and a lot of people, and not just the women in my office, but even some of the men were yep. passing these books around and they were reading them like, oh, and uh, when it came out that the original draft for Fifty Shades was actually uh, Twilight fan fiction. And I, yep. I, I told my wife that and she's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, oh, no, buddy. really, it is. <laughs> let me let me tell you, I got I, I, there's a whole section at the back end here where we're going to talk about these. But Twilight. Yeah. Spawned a, a literal publishing company that only publishes 
Twilight fanfictions. Well, I'm actually, uh, there wasn't, a, I didn't do a lot of research, but uh, the one thing I did do was I, I had a look at sort of what the top fanfics are. And, and uh, according to fanfiction.net, oh boy, uh, Twilight is actually the number three fan fiction in the world with uh, or at least on their website yep. with over 221,000 fan fiction stories hosted on their website. Yep. That's that's number 3. Number 3. Do you, do you, do you have number 1 and 2 on? I there? do. Yes. Number uh so number 2, it's Naruto uh yep. at 433,000 stories. And the number one fanfic, according to fanfiction.net, fanfiction.net yep. Harry Potter at 827,000 stories, mm-hmm. which really kind of surprises me because it's like it really speaks to sort of the popularity of these existing properties and sort of mm-hmm. like, again, those properties one. So Twilight, Naruto and Harry Potter, they don't resonate with me on any level. So I, mm-hmm. to me, it's shocking to read that. Whereas, like, as a huge Star Wars fan, I'm like, I scan down the list and I'm surprised to see Star Wars all the way down at number 17 with just 55,000. So part of that has to do with timing. The fan fiction community really exploded with the advent of the Internet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any series that existed, like, beyond a couple of years pre-Internet is not going to have as much just because of the like proximity i guess you yeah the I mean? so, yeah so the relationship Wars, to uh the relationship to the to people's collective consciousness really yeah so every everyone loves star wars but star wars is 70s 80s whereas the internet kicked in late 90s the internet a, so my first oh, i don't have exact numbers on the internet but i can <laughs> anecdotally i can tell you that i got my first email address in 1995 mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't own a computer. I didn't own a computer until I was in my thirties. So yeah, I mean uh, for me, widespread usable internet accessible to, to the majority of households, at least in North America, mid 1990s, mid to late. Yeah. Sounds about right. Sure. Sure. So you got to figure that anything that came around, I'm I'm gonna say 2000s probably your cutoff. Anything yeah, that came sure. before two 2000 is just gonna have less exposure, just because right. you know it wasn't around when the internet was prevalent. And honestly, people wrote fan fiction long before the internet. It happens all the time. But oh the my fact gosh! That yeah, there's now a place online where you can post it and share it with the world. That kind of uh... again, any writer who sat down and and wrote a movie script. You know, like I'll use the the Universal Monsters as an example. I mean, how many iterations of those have there been uh, across <laughs> multiple genres? You know, from uh, from straight up rewrites of like you know Bram Stoker's Dracula all the way to like the other end of the spectrum with like the Adams Family and the Monsters. Oh my God! Absolutely, absolutely. People will take something and turn it into whatever it is that they need. And that's where a lot of this this comes from. I can, I can tell you personally, Naruto was a very popular anime yeah. when I was when I was a much younger man. And the formula for Naruto is that you take the spiritual energy in your body and you turn it into basically magic. 
So there's an unlimited spectrum of what you can do within that universe. Right. And that's part of the reason why it spawned so many, so many uh, stories is just because of the scope of yeah. what it actually is. And, and, and a lot of Japanese, uh, they call them shonen. Uh, they're these anime for boys, uh, battle anime style things. It okay. is really, a lot of them are just a system of how magic works, how magic works in this world, how magic works in that world. And then it's yeah. ju- and then people just go crazy. Do you think Eric, some of it's generational, as you say, your, your comfort and your ability to access early chat rooms, early internet versus, you know, one generation further down the pipe than Wes and I, you know, are they, you know, they might be the type that were writing manuscripts and books and things like that. And um, as you get that progress that these kids, uh, a.k.a. the millennials, um, (laughs) where it's not a swear. No, but right. And I I mean, they were encouraged to to speak and to have an opinion and to let that opinion be to be held. As Wes was saying, I mean, I was looking at uh, AO3. And I mean, I was amazed, like there's uh, over 41,000 fandoms, over, you know, 3.2 million users and over 7 million works of fan fiction on that page, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's like, right? And I'm a bit of a closet nerd, right? I like what I like, but (laughs) that interaction for me, beyond, as we said at the start when I was a kid, and action figures and, you know, acting out a story with action figures. I don't know if it's just not in my creative juices to put pen to paper and that the ability there um, that we didn't do anything with video back in the day. Mm-hmm. And now I see a lot of cool stuff, stop motion and, you know, just cool pictures of action figures in action poses. Oh yeah. Toy photography has been huge in the which last I few think years. Hank yeah. is a huge That's right, yeah. conveyor of that. And his stuff looks it's pretty darn good it's art yeah let's not yeah, yeah. kid ourselves but right i think you're i, I just think, i think you're entirely right to say it's generational i i, I wouldn't call that an, a false statement at all yeah i look at what's going on now in some of the other spaces and i i'm going to touch into role playing for a second because all three of us have are fans of various role playing games and we've all gamed mm-hmm. together not the three of us at one time but i've gamed with scott and and i've gamed with you eric mm-hmm. i can tell you at the height of my I don't want to say gaming career because it wasn't a career. I wasn't doing it for money. But at the height of my gaming interest, when I was when gaming was the thing that consumed me the most, probably was in the mid 1990s. And I got to tell you, the number of times that the people that I was gaming with where we were like, we're like, man, somebody should be writing this stuff down and we should be putting it to like each session should be transcribed into like a short story. And then that kind of blossomed into the what if we could just record our sessions and now you've got like you've got professional role players who have entire YouTube channels devoted to their gaming sessions with devoted followers right absolutely so now it's kind of going backwards because back in the day you play a role-playing game and you'd base it on something like yeah. a cartoon or something that you saw on TV now critical role they've been playing a game for five years and they're making a cartoon about their game yeah i've seen so i've seen some of the merchandise that's coming for that oh man ridiculousness yeah would you would probably um, wouldn't surprise you to know that there's a line of pop vinyls that's coming 
Oh, I, in, I, I in saw fact, them and it I may already them. be out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, or uh, Dragonlance. That came out of a game. It's, yes it's hard and no. to argue. <laughs> yes and no. So there, you are. That is a partial truth. The bigger story around Dragonlance is that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman were both writers for TSR, which was the company that created uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And okay. they were. So what they were doing is they were writing the novels and they were writing the game modules concurrently at the same time. So you have to accept that a certain portion of what appeared in the novel is a product of what they were doing in the the module. But because of the publishing schedule, things kind of went the other way. And and unfortunately, the, the modules got written at a much quicker pace than the novels did. So... Yeah. If you've read collectively what it's what's known as Dragonlance Chronicles, the original three chronicles, I have not yet because I still. Oh, oh yes, you're you're missing out. <laughs> As a young man, yeah. I would tell you that was my first foray into fantasy. So very, here's the thing: very when, uh, Tolkien-esque. One of the one of the games that Wes is referring to was our game. Oh, you're gonna throw which, me under the bus. Right under the bus. Um, so the game that I played with Wes for the longest time, I think it was almost three years now that I'm actually doing the math. Yeah, I mean, we played, that we played that game. But with my work schedule and your work schedule and, and yeah, you yeah. living in the city and me living up north, it was difficult to get together. So when you say three years, you have to, you have to every, sort of... Every other week, yeah. Yeah, we it's, tried. It's less than, than we'd have liked, but it was as much as we could get. So we, we played that game for almost three years, and yeah, God, I still miss it. And it I, was the Dragonlance game, that's and right, you yeah. told me not to read the books. Yeah. I, so I, I'm blaming you for this. It, it, that was another ambitious one where <laughs> I had gone out and I had, I had tracked down the original, uh, original printings of the 14 or 16 original Dragonlance modules that actually make up those first three books. But then going back to the sort of the, the fan fiction aspect of it or the how it was written was there's gaps in the novels that you don't that are just sort of glossed over that are fleshed out in the modules. Mm-hmm. So hugely ambitious. But yes, yeah, so on some level, yes, there is a fan fiction component to that story, but they again, as professional writers, they were writing a product for a company. And yeah. there's there's some gray area where what came first, the book or the module. Yeah, interesting fact. Uh, they do a similar thing in in the world of um, manga and anime. Yeah. Uh, when when the anime catches up to where the manga is. Okay. They they just break off and do what what are called filler episodes, where they just make up their own shit. Oh sure sure. <laughs> and then they let the manga get, you know. 10, 20, 30 chapters ahead, and then they go back to the story. Okay. So it's something that gets done across across multiple genres and, and across... I think it's easy to argue that those types of filler episodes, they're generally not the same quality. So it could be easily argued that they are a type of fan fiction themselves. Yeah. So. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca CollectorsPlatoon.ca Organizers of the annual Toronto Collector's Platoon Toy Show. Check out collectorsplatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today. 
I got a couple more categories here that I want to get to just because yeah, sure. they are kind of important. So, so we went through shipping, uh, we're down. The next big one is, is really like a passion project or a character study. And that, oh, that yeah. is what I'm talking about when I say you take that one detail, you know, why, why was Snape a good guy? Well, oh, Snape was yeah, a good okay. guy because he loved Lily Potter. And that is where you take that and you write something that is entirely focused on that. It might be just a retelling of the Harry Potter story through Snape's eyes. I think and it's we seen... all just to, to study those little details that get dropped and yeah. never go anywhere. I love the idea of character studies, and we've seen that in some of popular media lately, particularly where like... Solo. Lo- yeah, Solo is one of them. Again, sorry, leading into Star Wars, but Count <laughs> Count Dooku, Count Dooku believes he's doing the right thing, right? He does not. No villain sees themselves as the villain. Do you know what I mean? They always think that they're they're just and that their motivations are pure. And well, if they're if they're well written. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the uh, what is it? The uh, the finger. If they're, if they're the not finger, just cannon fodder. The, yeah. Yeah. I am going to rule the world. You know the really sort of one dimensional villains, right? But <laughs> you're right. So most most uh, three dimensional villains who are written well, like nobody, no villain thinks that they're the bad guy. No, of course not. If you thought you were the bad guy, like you'd either have to A, be a complete socio or psychopath yeah, and just not care about the feelings of others. Oh, yeah. Or you just wouldn't be doing it because most of most humans have that thing inside them where they go, ah, this is not what I should be doing. I think there's some parallels there too, like going back to Dragonlance, Raceland Majir. Raceland Majir, who is arguably, you know, the most powerful wizard in the Dragonlance universe very much becomes an evil wizard. And, and in that universe, it's very clear because their, their robes change colors. They basically wear their, they wear their morality quite literally on their sleeves. So when he turns up wearing black robes and everybody's like, oh, you're one of them. But yet in, in another story, he falls in love with a cleric of like the most good God you could possibly imagine, right? So <laughs> everything for him was about the magic and he was just willing to do evil shit to unlock that knowledge. Not that he was necessarily, I mean, he was an evil guy, but he thought he was just in what he was doing. Three dimensions, always better than two. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, those type of character studies... Those are some of my favorite things, some of my favorite fiction, fan fictions that I've read over the years, and I've read a lot of fan fiction over the years, have been those specific character studies where it's just all about, you know, there's this one aspect or this one particular thing that has been dropped in canon as part of the lore yeah. and then never goes anywhere. It's just like an interesting side fact, and then someone latches onto that and goes, "You know, I bet I, I bet there's something there," and it turns into this epic, sure, you know, several several hundred thousands of words of storyline. Yeah. So well, late. That's. I want to know a better reason for uh, a purple lightsaber other than uh, Samuel L. Jackson thought it was cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So I mean, somebody, In- yeah. So interestingly, as part of getting back into Star Wars, I've started playing the MMO again. Sure. And the the purple lightsabers mostly show up on the Sith side of the story. Interesting. So there might be something there. Well, that's you know consistent. What I mean? 
not to turn this into a Star Wars thing, but that's consistent with Mace Windu's characterization that his particular lightsaber style, which is called Vapod, actually taps into the dark side. There you go. Yeah. So it could be anything. Uh, and that's part of what a good fan fiction seed is. It's, it's something that could be anything, but it's never been made into anything. Yeah, no, I've got a couple of good ones in the back of my head that I've been working on, but it's it seems like the ideas that I have somebody else has either got them or have got a similar idea. And, and like I was working on developing a couple of, of uh, film scripts mm-hmm. for uh, a couple of sequels. And uh, <laughs> looks like uh, I, I, I was a little too late with one of them because I was working on an Indiana Jones sequel that would basically ignore the Crystal Skull and sort of explore some of the character relationships. You know, like what happened to Willie Scott and what happened to uh, Short Round. <laughs> right because i mean those characters are compelling and to me it's like they nobody were nobody likes a dangling thread man yeah like w- especially with short round who was such a good character right like what happened to that kid like Indy, i love you when they did the crystal skull and and they did the metaphorical passing of the hat to uh, mutt i was like no way shia labeouf is the next indiana jones if anybody should be Indy, it should be short round They've got a relationship where he was a street kid and Indy basically took him in. Like they have a more father son relationship than he does with his own kid. Yeah. And then the other one that I'm working on is a, uh, I don't really have a whole lot going for it right now because I still think that there's a chance that this one I could probably do something with is uh, a Last Starfighter sequel. Ooh. Yeah. Which is also, there's also been like multiple attempts to revive that franchise. So. Well, I can't really call it a franchise. It's only got one movie, but there's been multiple attempts to bring a sequel to screen, and, and there's still some stuff going on right now, but there's a, there's some rights issues. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of made it, for me, it made it a safe property to work with because there was yeah. little chance that it was going to go anywhere. So if I only ended up writing it for my own enjoyment, then no harm, no foul. Yeah. Speaking of rights issues, uh, that brings me very neatly to the last... Uh, category that I like to use, which is which sure. is crossovers and genre hops. So crossing over, you got your DC versus Marvel. You've seen that in comic form many it's times. Just, it's just what if I pulled this character out of this world and put him into this world? This is or, that. This is the schoolyard uh, chats that we were talking about in the uh, in exactly the, in the could, toxic could, fandom could, episode. Could Wolverine yeah. beat up uh, Darth Vader? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what it is. It's, yeah. it's throwing the toys from one sandbox into another sandbox and just seeing where it goes. When we talk about that in the, in the place of fan fiction, I just want to make a quick mention here. No affiliation, no association with whatsoever, but I highly recommend Bat in the Sun Productions, uh, their YouTube channel, because they do a show called A Superpower Beatdown. And uh, mm-hmm. they they do that exclusively where they take disparate fandoms and they pit characters uh, against each other. And, and there's a new one that came out, I guess, last week, and it is Godzilla <laughs> versus the Green Rangers Dragonzord. So it's pretty cool. Oh boy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But there is, is really cool. there's only one answer and you already know what it is. Well, I, I know what it is, but if I say it out loud, I'll probably get yelled at. 
<laughs> if it starts with a if it starts with a flute, you're wrong. <laughs> all all I'm gonna say is, have you read the Power Rangers comic books? No, but I've I sort of follow along with the uh, a couple of friends of mine are kind of really into the Lightning collection of action figures right now, and mm-hmm. I've I've seen some reviews for the uh, the Lord Dracon figure, which naturally <laughs> I had to ask some questions like Dracon, who's this guy? And uh, people told me, well, hey, it's uh, it's an alternate universe Tommy where he's essentially a villain. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Why couldn't they have done that in the show? <laughs> well, now that we've said something about Power Rangers, it's funny. The, one of the one of the weirdest crossovers I remember from my youth sure. uh, was the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles showing up in an episode of Power that's Rangers. That's right, yeah. <laughs> And that's an example of a crossover that really shouldn't work and really kind of didn't, but no, it's just, um, oof. I think they were, <laughs> did Saban do both of those shows? Uh, yeah, Saban was, was, was involved in the production of both so of those So that's probably why they were able to get away with it. Was it, yeah, you, was it you that told me that it's, it's on Netflix, eh, the live action Turtles? Yeah, it's on, oh, awful show, but. It is, so I actually it, went and, I went and looked at Interesting to watch. I did take a few minutes and go and, and look at that, and I, I just, <sighs> I'm not a big Power Ranger fan of all of them. I think Mighty Morphin was probably the one I could relate to the most, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not a big Ninja Turtle fan. I like Ninja Turtles, and I appreciate what they are, but my idea of Ninja Turtles is more in line with the black and white Eastman Laird comic book when everybody wore red bandanas, and they were, <laughs> they were anthropomorphic murderers. You know, well, not, not pizza-loving uh, uh, party dudes. Let's show them the turtles know how to party! I'll be happy to represent the in-color version of Ninja Turtles when that show comes around. But, um, no, it's, again, it's one of those things where you can take any two things that you really love sure, and, and throw them together. And, and, you know, sometimes they work better than others. Sometimes, you know. Uh, the Batman Ninja Turtle crossover, the, the direct-to-home media release, I thought was actually well done. Oh, absolutely. I was th- That's on my list here somewhere. Oh, I didn't actually write it down. It should be on my list here somewhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I just watched this, I think, God, two weeks ago? I was amazed. That was an excellent... It felt like a well-produced piece of fan fiction that somebody had put a cartoon into. And I I say that with all the reverence and and love in the world. Yeah. You know, coming from a world where I, when I was younger, I wrote a lot of fan fiction and I posted it online. And I'll get into that in a minute. Okay. To to see something like that come together and, and have such high production value. Sure, sure. Just, oof. It's a wonderful thing to see. But yeah, I part of the reason that I, w- I wanted to do this show is because I think I think it's something that people don't think about, people don't talk about. Like I said, there's a little bit of a stigma to it. But the other part of the reason is because I've been going through a lot of my own, you know, mental health issues like most of us have through this, the whole, you know, what what the millennials are calling the Backstreet Boys reunion tour. Oh, wow. That's that's an actual term. <laughs> that's the code name for because uh, if you say COVID on YouTube, okay. you, you can actually get demonetized. Oh, oh, okay. So people are coming up with code words left and right, and and my favorite one is the Backstreet Boys reunion tour. Okay, <laughs> so I thought there was something more deeper to that, and I was going to say, wait, you need to explain this, but that that works. I totally no, no, get no. It. It's just a euphemism for COVID, so that people who have you know ad revenue don't lose it. Okay, that's fair. 
but you know me, man. You know me. In a, in a, my last profession, you know that I worked very closely with mental health and particularly with men's health. So absolutely. you don't have to justify this to me in any way, shape, or form. I well, I understand stigma as somebody who who has a a very serious mental health condition that uh, still affects me every day. I get it, and so I I can appreciate where fan fiction may serve as as some form of catharsis. Absolutely, um, I I have people all around me who have you know mental health issues. My everybody my has health spent issues. Spent a lot of time in Cyprus, like. If we just take the word mental out of it and just say everybody has health issues, you know, like we want to just, I think part of the whole normalizing that conversation that goes a long way towards doing that. And, and of course doing things like we're doing right now, having conversations, having conversations that are open and honest and just, you know, not shying away from any of the, the subjects that traditionally have been associated with male, uh, weakness. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do this for. Yeah. Part of my journey has been to be, you know, looking back on my life and the things that I've done and the choices I've made and, and, and what I, what I've, what, how I've coped for so long with, sure. with my issues. And one of the things that I did for a long time was write fan fiction. Okay. I started writing when I was, God, I think I was 12 or 13. And I, I kept writing Right up until about, I want to say, three or four years ago is when I stopped. Like, that's a pretty writing. long run. Yeah, when I stopped writing in earnest. So that's more than half my life. Yep. I wrote fan fiction. And the reason that I was writing it, I'm coming to realize, is that I was, I was reaching out looking for affection. Affection that I didn't feel I was getting elsewhere in my life. I'm doing better now, but I was a much more depressive person when I was younger. Okay. I had a very complicated family life. Uh, there were a number of issues. And I just, I had I had a lot of difficulty coping with reality. So to cope, I would retreat from reality and into fiction. And that was where, you know, I, I, would, I would just start writing things. Because my, my creative medium, I, I, I'm not coordinated enough to draw. Like, I don't have that. Oh, here, here. What, whatever gene it is that lets you see a shape and recreate it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have that. <laughs> My medium is and has always been words. That's why I went to school for comedy. It's, it's, it, it seemed like a no brainer for me to go into a profession where most of my, le- most of the legwork would be done with my voice. So what's really, interesting is that you use comedy as a, as your outlet. And I was just thinking sort of, from my professional experience, you know, humor, particularly black humor, is a defense mechanism against a lot of things that bother people. Very common in the medical fields, very common in law enforcement. Yeah. A very common in military. Yep. Black humor is just a way of taking something that's horrible yep. and making it palatable. Yeah, making that's, that's light all out it of is. It. Yep. Uh, and it's just a way to cope in the moment. Whereas when I was writing fan fiction, it was long form like i would write until i felt that a chapter was done and then i'd post it and i would not do anything else until i started getting reviews and this is one thing that fanfiction.net yeah i was going to i was going to ask you that i said when you were writing that would have been my question were you public or posting <laughs> that or were you just writing it and then saving it sort of for your own review because i think 
something that Scott and I have discussed is like, as we start to build an audience and as we start to interact with people who are listening to our shows, there's this, I don't want to call it a trap, but there's this, the whole idea of when you start to have sort of notoriety and celebrity and infamy and all those things that come with a, with a, a fan base, the comments can really impact you in in like crazy ways and i think oh absolutely you know you i almost said there's a there's a something to be said for don't read your own reviews <laughs> because if you start reading your own reviews you're going to read the negative ones and when you start reading the negative ones if you're you know if you're a worry wart i mean the last thing you want to do <laughs> is spin yourself into the ground right because oh my god i got a bad review there's um there's a guy online who does YouTube videos that are basically just uh, so you want to start uh, a blank account, so like Tumblr okay. or yeah, like sure, Reddit sure. Or, or and the one he did for fan fiction really hits it on the nose. Like every fan fiction writer at the bottom is like, "Hey, read and review. Let me know what you guys like." Yeah, but you know, constructive it, criticism only, unless you're going to be mean. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> constructive. It, it, you can, yeah, you can you can click on any fan fiction and almost all of them are going to have some variation of that because the point of this is not for somebody to read your idea and go, Oh, that's fucking stupid. You can't do that. So we, we kind of ran point, into this. The point of it is searching for validation. We kind of ran into this with, um, it's, I don't want to, I have to be careful how I phrase this because I don't want to say the wrong <laughs> thing. I don't, I don't want to say it in the, in an untruthful manner. Kid but gloves, kid gloves, Wes. You may or may not know this, but my wife actually has a couple of manuscripts for uh original novel series that she's working on and so one of the things that she did uh, because of her profession allows her to work from home so when she's not when she wasn't working she was writing and so she's she spent a few years now working on these manuscripts and uh you know like like many of us do when we're we're trying to be creative is we we let people in who are close to us to, to, you know, like, Hey, I've got this thing. Can you take a look mm -hmm. at it for me and tell me what you think? So she's let the manuscript out a couple of times for one of her books and her friends who are super supportive. And that's what you want from your friends. You want them to be supportive of you. Mm -hmm. They are gushing of over how good this manuscript is. And then it came time to really consider, you know, do you want to get this in a bookstore somewhere? And the answer was yes. And we actually approached an editor, a professional editor who was also an author, a published author. And the, the author was like, send me your, um, oh, I can't remember the word for it. It's the, basically it's the synopsis off the back of the book. Send me your treatment essentially. And then yeah. if it, if the treatment's good, I'll take a look at your manuscript. And so it's the, the, the writing equivalent of an elevator pitch. Right. So, the treatment was really cool and, and really sort of engaging. And the, the editor was like, send me your manuscript. And so she did. And the feedback that, that she got essentially said, you know, your manuscript does not live up to what your treatment basically said it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And it was a very critical response. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, as a husband, as a, somebody who's a, who loves their partner, to watch how crushed she was, it was very eye-opening for me when I start thinking about my own creative stuff and how far I want to go with it because I know that if I were in her shoes, 
I would have been hurt too. And I just, mm-hmm. I was unable to protect her from that. So <laughs> I don't want to experience that myself. I totally get that on yeah. every level. And, you know, when I was younger and I, I put my stuff out there and I sure. did get a bunch of negative reviews, it really crushed me for a while. You really I take the wind out of your sails. Like, you just. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know what it takes to muster up the courage to actually tell the world, like, hey, I have an idea. What, yeah. do, what do you think about it? It's exhausting. No, I get it. But I get it. I think I never really came to the realization, like, the enlightened realization that I'm coming to now. But back in the day, I think I internally just kind of realized that, like, some people, especially. Again, this was on the internet. I was posting it under a, under a screen A name. pseudonym, yeah. People were, which I'm not going to share with you, by the way, because they're still there. Um, <laughs> what space were you writing in, if, if I may ask? I, I, when I started writing, I was actually part of a forum. Oh, okay. Where, where we were doing a, a forum-based role-playing. Oh, game. a collective thing. Sure, I get it. And one of the other guys on the forum was writing a fan fiction. Right. And I really, I really liked it. And then he posted, he's like, hey, I can't post here anymore because of something, um, but I'm going to repost everything on fanfiction.net. Oh, okay. And that was how I got linked to fanfiction.net. And right. I started reading, and I really loved what I was reading. And then one day I read somebody's fanfiction, and he went left when he should have gone right. Okay. And I was like, that's not right. That's not how you write that. This is how you write that. And yeah. I started writing. So I think so, it's important, though, to make that distinction, though. You, you, Eric, inside yeah. your own mind, decided mm-hmm. that that was wrong. Exactly. But instead of criticizing the author, you took it on yourself to make the correction to sit well with yourself. Exactly. I made the decision when I started writing fan fiction yep. that I was I was never going to write a negative review for somebody. Okay, sure. Uh, I might be a little bit critical, but I would always try and make it positively critical. Well, here here's a question for you, right? And and I I have no figures in front of me. I don't even know if if such a thing exists. But like, how many fan fiction writers are using fan fiction as a you know, as a basis of, could I get published? Could I become a writer? I think it's fair to say that the large majority of people use it in one of three ways, I, I, I would say. Um, my way, which was to receive validation, seek affection, okay, uh, boost, boost, boost yourself out of a depressive situation. Sure. I think that's one way that was very common. And, and, if you read enough fan fiction, you, you get to the point where you can see patterns of, of depressive people of in the language um, and the way they describe things yeah. and the way that a story goes. You get to tell, like, I think this author is probably an escapist. Again, it's all judgment calls. Well, it's all on some level, I mean, you're talking fan. The other half of that word is fiction. And isn't fiction by the nature uh, an escape in itself? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. So we're all so, looking so for that's, that escape that's on some level. Thing. There are always people who are writing speculatively. Yeah. And, you know, can I write an X-Men story that Marvel would like? Well, let's see if the rest of the world likes it. Let's yeah. see if all the Marvel fans on fanfiction.net, what they think about it. So spec writing is very common. 
that escapists. And then there are people who just write it as like a general catharsis. Like, yeah, sure. you know, I've got an idea that I need to get out of my head. It's out of my head. It's on paper. I'm done with it. There are a lot of stories that are just a couple of maybe one or two chapters establishing an idea. And right. then the idea is out of my head. I'm no longer suffering from it. I can move on. And the story gets abandoned. Okay, um, that's fair. Yeah. And, you know, stress relief through 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 creative writing is, expression. is nothing is nothing new. Creative expression. Yeah, yeah, Playing of course. Jazz music or, or music just off the cuff, uh, just abstract drawing. Taking that thing that's in your head that's keeping you up at night and slamming it onto a piece of paper so that you no longer have it in your head. But doesn't it's, it's, it's nothing new. Doesn't all art come from an emotional space on some level? It has to. I think so. It has to. Art without emotion. I mean, well, you could. Uh, we'll have to wait until the computers, the AIs, start doing art. Yeah. To really make that call, but I think art without emotion is is just. You know, scribbles and splotches and something that's not. You should feel something about what you're creating. If you're if you're not feeling something, then it's just a soulless golem of a creation that amounts to nothing. But it, yeah. But if you're if you if you're feeling sad about what you're painting, and people can see that, people can take something. In sure, that. sure. And I was feeling sad, and I created, and you know, it's what got me through a lot of my youth i had lots of issues but i would come home and i would open my email and it would say new review for x story oh yeah oh my yeah God, there's a new review somebody else read my someone stuff. read it okay was it enough for you to know that someone had read it or did you actually dig into the the comments as it were uh sometimes i would sometimes i wouldn't there were some stories that i cared more about and some stories that were, again, like, I just have this idea, I need to throw it away. Would you say um, there was ever a time where maybe some of the comments were adverse and that that if negatively affected you? There was one story that I was six months into writing that I stopped writing. Oh, wow. Because one person went through and you, you could leave a review for each chapter. Right. And they just tore me apart methodically chapter by chapter i was about 15 chapters in i got 15 emails in one day oh wow you have a review for chapter one you so have let, a review for chapter two let me, let me just, ask you oof. i participate a fair amount in certain online forums most of them are are via facebook right where like the comment sections are pretty lively in some of the spaces that i'm active in mm -hmm. and i think we have this habit of doing that where somebody will respond to either a post you've made or a comment you've made. And, and our first reaction is to automatically go and look at that person's profile and, and creep their crap. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we tend to form these judgments based on what we see there, you know, like, Oh, there's a Confederate flag on that guy's profile. So he's got to be a redneck, you know, militia guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like in the fan fiction.net world, I presume you would have a username as you'd said, Mm -hmm. Your commenter would have a username. Would you go and look at their fanfic.net profile to see what they were about? Were they authors as well? In later years, I would. Okay. But at the beginning, no. It was not worth it for me at that time in my life to go and try and compare, you know, 
well, you think my stuff's bad. I want to see your stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, because yeah, they could be coming from a completely different space or edu- – and that's the other thing, too. Have you – like, that's where I would – I don't think I could – intellectually put pen to paper because again i think our education system failed me <laughs> but have, have you have you taken any kind of like in you know you've had quite a spanning kind of fledgling thing there eric have you taken a creative writing or is I, it... I got a little bit of creative writing training when i was in school i i went to humber river uh, co- college for uh, comedy writing and performance. So there, there is a component to that. Then, so right? there is for a sure. component, but I was writing fan fiction long before way I before went to college. And, and this is sometimes I wonder, right? Is is and the throw to poor Kim, right? Is 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 you write a, a passion or a piece, yep. and and how you create it isn't necessarily how you create a retail viable product right yeah and as you're you're writing it as a story and something that you would want to read yourself and exactly that's where i would fear be like well that's not how you write a good piece of fiction yeah it's like it's it's the kevin smith method of of movie making he makes movies that he and his friends would like to see yeah or 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 the adam sandler method like making something for yourself is different from making something commercially viable. Right. Now, for those people, it worked out and it was commercially viable, but I would never put forth anything, almost, now. there might be one thing that I've written in terms of fan fiction that I would put forth as commercial viable, but overall, I was never writing for... For that for that right uh i i was writing for you know my own interests and for hopefully some recognition and validation from other people who love the properties that i love and is that the problem with the review system right is that you could have somebody that's reviewing stuff that's coming from a totally different headspace than you are Exactly. And then it's you, like... you never know if maybe somebody's just having a bad day and they decide to tear apart your work as part of their recovery, or you know if somebody else considers you to be writing something that they wanted to write and they just tear you apart because your idea was too close to theirs, and now they feel they can't use it. People lash out for any number of reasons, and when you can do it anonymously. Right. There is so much empowerment and so little risk that you right. know, uh, I, I don't want to advocate for a police state, but if you had to use the internet under your own name, I feel people would oh, treat yeah. each other differently online. <laughs> I don't know. You should, again, using Facebook as my example in some of these comment sections, man, like... The biggest thing that I've noticed is that we all live in Canada. So, I mean, if you're listening to the show outside of uh, outside of the Great White North, your language laws and your your freedom of speech laws may differ than what we have here. But you're talking about an online community where, you know, it's kind of the Wild West, you know, and I, I see there's a huge, particularly in comment sections, there's a huge difference between, you know, some of the the rhetoric that comes out of the US versus what comes from Canada and, you know, 
people in Canada who who often forget that in fact we don't have freedom of speech. We do not have a freedom of speech law in Canada. We have a freedom of expression law, but it's subtly different in that yeah. you know our speech can be limited based on you know hate and 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 a lot of the things that we we saw happen earlier this week uh, down south. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think that there's a cultural component to that too, in that we, we as Canadians, we, 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 we take a lot of pride in being Canadian, and there is some identity that comes with that, and some things that we are, you know, we feel that we need to uphold as a people. Whenever I go abroad, it's it's always, oh, you're Canadian, and the, the conversation always takes an upturn, because people people feel comfortable around us because of our reputation, and that sort of thing can't help but impact you you as a person but also like in terms of these reviews and things like yeah canadian reviewers not to be braggy or anything we tend to think about what we're writing because we tend to realize more than other cultures might that there is a person on the other end of this epithet that i'm about to send that is going to absorb this in some way and and we think about it a little just a little more than the average person and and i think that's entirely cultural and based on the way that we as a country uh, portray ourselves i think there's an ideology there in re- in reality at least in my own experience i i have to disagree with you on that one i think that's have, fair. i think i've lived long enough and have seen enough uh, there are generational things that will make that different, and yeah, your experience yeah. makes it different. And, and I, my and I experience, don't, I don't even mean it as a generational thing. I mean it as a as a living. I, I will say there's. I do believe firmly that there is a bit of a geography component in it. I don't. Yeah. I don't live in a city of four million people. I live in a town of three thousand people that is predominantly white Anglo-Saxon. So you yeah. can you can imagine sort of some of the going back to the language stuff. You can just imagine some of the attitudes that that we kind of put up that are more pervasive here than, say, in Toronto, where, you know, the (laughs) the multicultural community is part of your everyday. It's not part of my everyday. And so, man, as a as a world traveler (laughs) living in a small town, having traveled the world, I feel very fortunate to have experienced multiculturalism in other countries. So when I come back to Canada and, and I I come back to where I live here in, I don't mean to say this in a minute. Well, no, I kind of do. Come back to Hickville. <laughs> and really, Scott, you've got the look. You know what I'm talking about. North of seven, plaid's our color. That's right. So, you know, uh, you know, John, Dude, I, John Boy, who's I, never been south of the 401, may not realize that there's a bigger world, you know, outside his front door. So, as, yeah. As somebody who grew up in, Shiloh. Oh, rural Manitoba. <laughs> rural Manitoba. Uh, and then moved to the big city of Winnipeg. Uh, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. And I agree. This like, culture you can shock. Define yourself, you can define yourself by however you like, but, but where where you're at and what you're coming from is, is always going to play of course it is, part yeah. in that. So to, to, go, to go back, I wrote a lot. I had, you know, a couple of stories that, you know, I, I posted a couple of chapters and then I decided, you know, I, I don't have the patience to write this or, or sure. it's not getting as many hits. And, but I, I did have a couple and there was one, there was one story that I wrote that actually, uh, I, I 
I recently, <laughs> when, when I proposed this topic to you, I went back and logged into my fanfiction account for the first time in five or six years. Okay. And one of my stories is still in the top 99th percentile of its category. Oh, that's cool. So I, I had at least one story that was extremely successful. That resonates with enough people to keep it that to keep it in that place. It, exactly. Interestingly enough, I'm looking at my email, uh, and I have a separate box that all of my fan fiction stuff used to get. Yeah, sure. Uh, I have brand new reviews. Oh, good for from you. yesterday. Oh, wow. On one of, on one of those stories. That's really cool. So <laughs> now I don't want to say I've lost the ability, but I've I've lost the drive. Let's say. To do to write fan fiction lately, uh, and I tell the world, I told my writers uh, or my readers rather, when I when I quit, was yeah. like, hey, I've been doing this for however long, and the reason I did it was because I was real depressed and okay. I had a lot of mental health issues, uh, but I'm doing a lot better now, and I'm finding that I'm not having the drive to write as much. Okay. So I, I'm really sorry. I'm going to be. I'm probably. Uh, not going to be posting much or at all from here on. And I, I, I left them this little thing. And some of the people who were regular reviewers and readers of mine sent me lovely little uh, messages like, oh, congratulations. I really yeah. hope your life goes better, blah, blah, blah. A bunch of people made some uh, whiny, bitchy, moany, complainy things. And those people at this point You're not going to write anymore? I'm like, look, <laughs> my mental health has and your mental health like I'm sorry if 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 me not writing anymore affects you in some kind of way like right. that, but but honestly, at this point, like if you want, well, why don't you just pick up the threads, man? Yeah. Everybody everybody hates a dangling thread. You know, ain't no reason. Really, ain't uh, no reason you can't rewrite my stuff. It's interesting when you think about it as two sides of the same coin, where you've used fan fiction as an outlet on the writing side of things to to work through some th- some stuff. You got to think that some of those uh, some of those people, you know, were using f- your fan fiction as a reader to get through their stuff. Right. Yeah, and so. that was a revelation when when I first realized it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I reopened the time capsule and I looked at my stuff again. And again, it's as as an older person with more life experience. A lot of it uh, is not something I would write today, but sure. But that's you who know, you were in, then. It's interesting to open that capsule and go, I remember how I felt when I was writing this chapter of this okay. thing. And and just, just to go back and process those feelings with more sure. life experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You're listening to Fandom Power. So that sort of brings me to the, the to one of the last couple of points I had written down here. Yeah, which yeah. Is, it, it's a, it sounds a little pithy, but your depression does not make you unworthy. Back in the day, I used I used to be I used to have a very low opinion of myself. It's it's on the upturn. I'm doing better nowadays, but I had a very low self image, and part of how I bolstered that was through getting the feedback and getting these positive reviews and. You know that little hit of uh, dopamine. Dopamine, when, yeah. When when somebody 
oh, I really like this chapter. I can't wait for the next one. Well, we know the science behind um, that. You know, the every time you, you know, whether it's Facebook and you get the thumbs up or you get the like on your YouTube video or the heart on your Instagram post, that it, it hits the same centers of the brain, uh, you know, the, the pleasure centers that that other uh, pleasant stimulus hit. So, it, I mean, physiologically, chemically speaking, it's the same thing. And, and we want that. We want that positive affirmation. Yeah, and that's why you spend the rest of your day online chasing the dragon. <laughs> so I don't, to speak. I don't know if I'd use the heroin <laughs> reference, uh, but okay. I mean, it's the same type of addiction. It's just to a different chemical. I suppose. It's, 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 it's a little cynical to look at it like that, but, you know. That's how I came to view it. Yeah. And that's that that again, that's part of that's part of my um what I'm gonna call my recovery process is just okay. dealing dealing with that sort of thing. And and the realization that what I was chasing was partly emotional, but it was also partly chemical. And that that does help me personally to get through some of this. Yeah. Um so you know, getting that feedback on something that you've created out of ostensibly a property that you love and then your own, you know, chutzpah. Yep. For, it's really, it's really a powerful thing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I have it written in here. Um, there's, there's a great scene in um, uh, the Avengers. I believe it's in infinity war. Okay. Or no, it's in, it's in end game. Uh, when Thor, goes goes back in time and he talks to his mother and he and he yeah. goes through this this whole like depressive episode and then he holds up his hand and the hammer comes to him yeah 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 <laughs> and that like i'm still worthy like i'm still worthy that yeah. whole emotional turn that like i said your depression does not make you unworthy even the, dis- the been... that using thor that um as our sort of our through our looking glass L- L- litmus yeah i mean even the the conversation that he has with his father with odin he's like you're thor are you thor the god of hammers hmm? you're not thor god of hammers you're thor god of thunder right yeah yeah but yeah, i mean exactly. he needed it's it's he needed it's, to find that for himself. Exactly. And that was what I was searching for. It was, was validation, was, was, was something to tell me that, you know, even to a, if it was only to a handful of strangers online, that, that I mattered to someone. And yeah. that's, you know, that's, that speaks to my, my family issues and thing, other things that I'm dealing with. But it was just... One a, way that I search to cope with all the bleakness of reality. Yeah, an externalization <laughs> versus an internalization where you want that, that positive affirmation. And to some, to some degree, I, I, uh, I appreciate what you're saying because that's kind of how I lived. I, I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty needy, on some level, clingy guy. I mean, I, I'm always looking for the, the I'm a good boy from from my wife <laughs> that maybe I didn't always get as a as a kid, but I then you know totally. you you learn, or maybe you don't. I guess there's a lot of barriers to why people don't learn this stuff. But I've been fortunate enough to learn, you know that 
that uh oh how do i say this i don't want to trip on my own tongue here because it's taken me a Take long time. time it's taken me a long time to get there but you know the, throw, throw in an edit point we got time i guess uh <laughs> through my own work i've been able to uh reconcile a lot of that stuff whereas like i know i as me internalizing know that i have more value than maybe i had thought of uh, earlier when i needed like i'm a good boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that completely. Yeah, like, yeah, up, yeah. And, up up until recently, I used to tell people like nobody hates me more than me. Yep, yep. I, and, yep, and I that get was it. and that was a big part of. I, I'm still not over that statement, but I'm trying to get over it, and it's one of my biggest hurdles. And this this all of this stuff sort of feeds into that, you know, improving sure, my, sure. my my self opinion. Yeah. Yep. No, and I, I, you, you, I really came to like almost love the people that were reviewing my work when I was younger. Like, cause you probably see was... the same names coming up repeatedly, wouldn't exactly. you? Exactly. Yeah. So I, that I, I may never, I never will. And I probably never should, but I, I, I'll never know who these people were. No, they, they, they pulled me through a dark time and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think on some level, I don't want to make an, I'm going to make an analogy. I don't know if it's a really good one, but like, look at all these cases of people who, who dealt with their, when we encapsulate the whole idea of escapism and dealing with mental health and, and one of the other outlets, you know, people who go into these like MMOs, these big, massive multiplayer online games and, and essentially have these pseudo relation, romantic relationships with these video game characters, like they're real people. Because on the other end, there is a real person, but the interface, you know, that one step or two steps removed from that other person just makes it easier to romanticize. Easier and, to process, yeah. Yeah. Some really strange, and by strange, I mean, like, strangely fascinating uh, stuff there. Uh, again, as one of these people, yeah, uh, I'll be I'll be happy to make have that discussion whenever that episode happens. Oh, yeah, for but, sure. Um. I've got friends that I've never, I've never seen a picture of their face. I've never. You just know who their, their character voice. is. I just know, you know, Velby is somebody who I can count on when I need to go into a dungeon late at night. <laughs> yeah. Because okay. whoever that person is, they're online between the hours of, you know, ten and two in the morning. Right. So, people that I've never met and people that I, I don't think I need to meet because. It's a different kind of relationship. It fulfills a different kind of need. I guess so. That's really the journey that I went on for, for, for fame fiction. It's it's really... A lot of it's about self-expression. Some, some of it is about... Some of it is about anger. Some of it is about pain. Some of it is about joy. Some of it is about sadness. It's it's It runs the gamut of everything that has ever been put to art. And I just want the reason I proposed it to you is because of that stigma that I felt when okay. I was younger. And e even now, there's a reason I'm not going to tell you what my username was. That's fine. Because some of that, some of that stuff, I'm a little bit ashamed of. Oh, and okay. that's that's just something that I have to process. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. To be honest with you, that no, you, no, you no, feel no. the it's, need it's, to. It's not about you, and it's, it's everything to do with my own particular psychosis yeah of but course I, I i did want to i did want to go back and we talked about you know fan fiction hitting the big time i just want to before we before we do that i just want to sure. i just want to sort of close off 
the whole the the mental health component of this conversation and just go back to I think to, you're a better person to do it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just want to touch on that whole I, I said it earlier and I just want to I just want to touch on it again that when we look at the whole the thing as a whole as we've discussed up till now like I really think there's something to be said about the catharsis of fan fiction of the the writing process that that as an expression whether it's being read or not, uh, it's still a valuable tool in your journey wherever you may be. And so I think, I think I'm getting what you're saying is that in that it has been a valuable, a valuable tool for you. Absolutely. And if it's been valuable to you, it, I can only assume that it's been valuable to other people. And well, so, every, everyone has their own ways of doing it, and 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 people who don't write. They, sometimes they make fan art. Sure, sure. Or sometimes they make a podcast where they talk about a single episode of a television program. I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so listen to so, our to our listenership. I would say, listen, if you're if you're one of those people who's been sort of on the fence, maybe you've got some ideas about you know a, a piece of fan fiction. You know, you've got a couple of options. You've got fanfiction.net, and what's what's the one you were looking at, Scott? Uh, Ao3. So I mean, there there are outlets out there for you, and and uh, you know what? I wouldn't say I would say go ahead, throw your ideas out there. I mean, uh, I, I don't want to make light of it, but I mean, what's the worst that can happen to you is you get a you get a bad review, but at the same time, you probably get some yeah. good reviews. The only thing I'll say about that is if you're going to pick a platform, stick yeah. to that platform because fanfiction.net writers and AO3 writers yep. are like oil and water. Oh, okay. <laughs> there are a few people who've hopped platforms, but generally they don't mix. Oh, so interesting. Are... So interesting. Oh. I wouldn't have thought, right? No, neither would I. <laughs> I would have thought it's... that the broader fanfiction community would just be embracing of it it's one of those tribal things, you know, like we've been talking about all the way back to the beginning of this, this whole adventure that you guys are taking us on with, uh, with fandom. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's entirely tribal and, Oh, okay. Okay. You know, if they find out that you write on both platforms, then, you know, you'll start to get a lot of more directed negativity and that's not something that you need. So just pick, pick your platform and stick to it. And enjoy. There's okay. no reason you can't read on both sides. No, no, I guess no. But not many people write on both sides, and that's that's just my experience, and just a just a heads up. Yeah. So, like I said before, as we've experienced here and the with the podcast, and of course with our own social media, is just be careful how far you go into the comments because words can hurt. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, sorry, Eric, I didn't mean to cut you off because you wanted to talk no, no, about no. sort of the, the the bigger. I think that's a beautiful capstone, and I have a bunch of offshoots here of like things that started as fan fiction or in 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 the more in the lines of fan fiction uh, and and have become larger properties. Yeah, like you yeah. said, Fifty Shades of Grey is the top of that list, isn't it though? And it started as a Twilight fan fiction. Yeah. And, Interestingly enough, I actually had some interactions with the person who wrote Fifty Shades oh, of Grey wow. when it was a fan fiction. I so I never I did not read Twilight and I did not read Fifty Shades, so You're not missing much. Okay, fair enough. There's a clip online of Gilbert Gottfried reading oh, clips my Lord. from Fifty Shades. <laughs> that is worth watching. Uh, oh Gilbert Gottfried, where are you now? By holy hell! 
Is it erotic? But it's a very, it's a very shallow sort of series. What? <laughs> I mean, young, young teen fiction in and of itself is kind of drabbly, and I can say that as an older person now. It's very one-dimensional and kind of preachy almost sometimes. I feel like it's really dominated a lot of the entertainment landscape when you look at, uh, you know fiction that's getting adapted for film and television a lot of it is sort of that uh young adult yeah ya of. stuff hunger games harry potter what's the other one uh oh i can't hunger games didn't i, I thought Maybe, I, did, did you say, say that, that? Out the hub? Uh, i thought i'm not listening sorry but bud. you but you know what i'm yeah, talking yeah, about yeah 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 but i mean that's i mean that's it right and as we've talked about you know ideas and and finding where the next bit of uh inspiration comes from right yeah. and once you find a form yeah. once you find a formula why would you go away from that so that dystopia young person yeah yeah works well yeah. or did <laughs> we might be past it now <laughs> well i mean these things have sort of sp spun off their own subgenres that yep. are kind of uh you you've got you do have the you know post-apocalyptic teen sort of uh moral instruments or uh, oh man like i can think of maze runner i was gonna say uh, uh, uh akira <laughs> how much yeah. how much anime revolves around a teenage protagonist a teenager with a mysterious power that's yeah, different sure. from everyone else around right. him yeah. that he learns to use to overcome evil and set the world right but really all he wants is uh to belong and yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, this is this is the plot of every anime ever. You're not it's you're not breaking new ground here. No, no. Which um, really goes back to that whole thing we were t when we were looking at the the uh, fanfic.net, looking at mm -hmm. the numbers, a lot of these uh so let, I'm just going to go through here. Lot seven of anime on that list. Seven of the top 20 are are anime or manga properties. So, yep. almost, well, that's uh 40 some percent, 45%. Ish. Part of that stems from translation issues because some people can't get the English version or couldn't back in the day. Yeah. Now you can get it anywhere. But at the but, same time, does that not speak to the global audience or the global community? Like, of course, Naruto is going to be number two in that. Here's one for I can even, t I don't even know if I'm saying this correctly. Hashalia Axis Powers? Oh boy. That's, oh. Am I reading that correctly? Uh, Hatalia. Hatalia. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was a silent, if that was a sh or a or a hard t, but yeah, Hatalia oh axis powers. Boy. Give me a second here. Let that's me your see number... if I can sum this up in ten seconds. That's your number five. Um, um, Hatalia is a story about all of the countries that were involved in World War II. Yep. Personified as an individual person. <laughs> okay. So the character's name is Germany or oh, yeah, Italy. Yeah. Or England. America. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just a whole... Like, that's that's the Cliff's Notes. Okay. I really can't describe to you what that show is about. But this is what I mean, right? Like, anime and manga as a global phenomenon, really, it really shows oh, in that man. list by how many of the fan fiction properties are based on them. I think that's part of why it took off so well is because, you know when the internet age came around, people started, you know, seeing these crazy cartoons that the Japanese draw. And 
if you've ever seen some of the, some of the new anime stuff, like yeah. the the animation quality is through the roof. Yeah, like ridiculously so, and people started seeing those, and it really kind of I think the last time virally the last time I spent money and bought like anime like DVD anime was I bought uh, uh, Samurai Seven. Which was an adaptation of the Seven Samurai, but in a, in anime format, which I I quite enjoyed actually. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of it. No, no, exactly there is, <laughs> and I just I don't know what the numbers are like, and I'd be curious to know like where where the writer base is, like in terms of like content or globally speaking, like are there more fan fiction authors in North America than there are in Europe versus uh you know Asia. Like, where is it coming from? I don't know. Because um, you can sort it by language, and there is a bunch of stuff in, in other languages that you can... I would think so, yeah. Easily see. Um, or, like, you know, writers who maybe English isn't their first language, but they're writing in English anyway because the majority of... And I just... I'm just presuming English. I, that doesn't mean that it is, but... Hmm. It, I wonder... It, run, it runs the gamut. Yeah. Because I, I was sort of wondering, is that why you're seeing the anime so high? Is yeah. because country of origin, and then the fact that they've had it for so long over there, and is it is it their fan fiction, and then we're just getting it getting now, it now. <laughs> right? Yeah. You should see this new and crazy thing I found. And it's, it's not like, like <laughs> because it's not like a publishing company where you write a book and then the publisher translates it and then ships it out to you know international audiences like. If it's a fanfic, you're writing it in your first language or, or the language that you're writing it in. Yeah. No one's translating it for you. Well, Google yeah, Translate or... I guess so. Yeah. Well, well, you can do it now. Again, it's where I got exposed to a lot of this stuff. I, I, w- I would never have watched Hitalia. No. Until I saw, oh, there's 120,000 stories that people have written about this show. Like, what's that about? And then I went on Wikipedia and read the synopsis and decided I didn't want to watch it anyway, but... You yeah. know, I got exposed to a bunch of other things that I that I really enjoyed. The um the first place that I heard of certain anime was through fan fictions, and honestly, it wasn't even through fan fictions that I read. I read something that was in one category that was crossed over with another category, and I was like, "What's this other category about?" Right. And then I went over there, and now suddenly, oh, here's another show I need to watch. It's just funny when I look at uh, going back to this list, the fanfic.net list, and just looking at the ones that I actually know and can identify with, how low they are on the list. I'm trying. I'm trying to get the consolidated list. Like, how did you? Uh, what did I do here? I'm on. Uh, it's their Wikipedia page. Actually, has the top twenty. Oh, that's why it's. Not yeah, working. sorry. Yeah, the the Wikipedia has a tw- uh, top twenty listed. Um. I'll just go through, through the ones that I actually know, not ne- not necessarily the ones I'm interested in. So, like, the first one, Harry Potter, number one, obviously, that's a global phenomenon. I think even I've seen a few Harry Potter movies, even though I don't really identify with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next one, I'd heard of Naruto, never really watched an episode. I'm familiar mm-hmm. with Twilight because my wife is a Twilight fan. She likes them. <laughs> Supernatural, the television show, show, that's number four. Uh, I think they just ended, didn't they? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, because there was talk about both actors getting one of the uh, screen-used cars as a parting gift from the show. 
Jeez. Apparently the car yeah. was a very popular character in the show. <laughs> I think they both have like something else lined up right away because of the success of that show. Maybe. I think one of them's gonna be the new Walker Texas Ranger. Does that if oh, I'm not oh. mistaken. Okay. Well who knows? I mean uh, all things old or new again, so why not yeah. reboot that? Reboots. Uh Inuyasha I'm aware of because my ex wife's kid liked to watch it quite a bit. So it's it was very, it's very niche. Glee. Glee made the list. There's there's a fanfic for Glee. That's crazy to me. And I've been doing fanfiction for years. And that's a that's over a hundred thousand hundred and eight thousand uh stories. Now, my understanding of Glee is that it, it, there's a lot of music in that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also a, a story about teenagers in high school, which really lends itself to like. I, I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of sex in a lot of these. Yeah. Okay. And that sort of setting kind of lends itself. Well, to, doesn't that add to that whole stigma? Right. That's part of what it is. There's I think a lot, so. There's a lot of sex in a lot of fan fiction. Well, and, again, that is, doesn't that just tie right back into Fifty Shades and how and why it was such a such a phenomenon, right? right? My inner goddess quivered. Holy fuck! Is this wrong? Oh, yeah, this? yeah, yeah. Just uh, the way she wrote it. Uh, you got po- Pokemon next. coming up behind that, and I mean, again, Pokemon's been around for a long time, so I mean be hard yeah. pressed to find somebody who's not heard of that and again pokemon is a formula yep yep <laughs> uh bleach not really familiar with it percy jackson i've heard of so then we get into this here we get to one where it's like i can't believe this is so low doctor <laughs> who doctor who at number 11 you think you know here's something that's been around since the late 60s whovians are very particular i'll say that's what i'm saying is that right <laughs> is the people that are fans of of that books the best weapons in the world are they of the the ilk to be writing maybe not i don't, I don't know yeah. or not posting about it <laughs> i know that there's been like this resurgence of when uh oh my lord when they rebooted the show back in what 2005 2006 the first something like that the new doctor the, and i can't think of his name because all i think of is his role in gone in 60 seconds where he's like 50 cars not 48 not 49 50 cars right like and he was the first the rebooted doctor can't think i of just think name. of them as numbers so don't yeah. feel bad okay well i couldn't tell you his number yeah. kingdom hearts comes up next as a well that's a video which game. is funny because kingdom hearts in itself is kind of a fan fiction well it's is a, it not a, a mashup up. yeah of, it's a mash. It's a mashup of Final Fantasy and Disney and characters. Disney characters, which <laughs> you wouldn't think would work, but somehow. While JRPGs aren't they, they leans kind of heavily into that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh is next, and then then you say like Pokemon is formulaic. Well, there you go. Yu-Gi-Oh is a derivative of that anyway. It's time to. Do, 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 do. I don't understand how Yu-Gi-Oh is higher than Fairy Tale. I fairy don't even tale. know what fairy tale is, so there you go. It, fairy tale has a much better formula for fan fiction than sure. Yu-Gi-Oh does. Yu-Gi-Oh is all about like, oh, I miraculously have this exact card to defeat your plan. Oh, okay. It's teach Kaiba respect for the heart of the cards, Yugi. It's very odd. And then where are we at here? We're at Sherlock now. Sherlock. Sherlock is the uh, the TV show with uh, what's his name. Um, isn't that the guy who played Bilbo? I was going to say it's uh, Benjamin uh, Cucumber Bits. 
<laughs> Bender Snatch Cumberbund. That's yeah. him. Yeah. So the Benedict Cumberbatch. But uh, uh, Sherlock. I love that everybody has their own way to say his name incorrectly. <laughs> but there is a perfect thing of um, Alora on Netflix of the sister. Tell me that thought pro- with oh, yeah. uh, Miley, the Stranger Thing girl. Yeah, right. yeah. And it 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 trended for a few weeks or a month on Netflix, right? So I mean, there's something else of a different spin on right. Sherlock. And actually, uh, Arthur Doyle's uh, estate said they didn't like it. Oh, no. So whatever their conclusion was to that, whether it was a payout or whether it was a change of few lines, but that was... I uh, think it was a payout. Yeah. But, <laughs> if uh, I recall the So interesting, right? And they're like, oh, I like this thing of Sherlock's, but what about his sister? And then, <laughs> yeah. right? And then they came up with a... That's exactly what... It, you know, let's get to the end of this list, because I do have another point. There. Sure, sure. So uh, uh, coming up after Sherlock, it's uh, Lord of the Rings, which no surprise there that that's in the top 20. Uh, the thing's been around since, what, the 1950s? Well, the dude put out the Silmarillion, which is basically a book full of unfinished ideas. Yeah, Silmarillion. So a guy that I worked with when we were in Bosnia read the Silmarillion while we were there. And he's like, oh, yeah. So I said, what are you reading? He's like, it's Tolkien. It's the Silmarillion. I'm like, oh, OK. I'm like, so how does it relate to Lord of the Rings? He's like, oh, and he flips to the to the right chapter. He's like, Lord of the Rings. He's like, is a few paragraphs in this book. Like the entire Lord of the Rings is a couple of paragraphs within the Cimmerillion. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. You shall not pass. But yeah, no surprise. There's lots of stories to be told there when you when you get into sort of what what is there in that landscape. And then the nearest and dearest to my heart, Star Wars at number 17. Hello there. And arguably with what's going on now with this High Republic, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of discourse there between whether this is going to be any good or not. You know, we're kind of excited for it on the show because of, you know, maybe this is going to be our first look at the Jedi not diminished, uh, as we talked about. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that sentence and I I got real excited. Yeah, so I mean when you when you look at it through the lens of like in the Clone Wars and in the prequels, the Jedi were not able to sense what the deception of the the return of the Sith. So if the Jedi had been clouded and their abilities were diminished, what do they look like when they're not? <laughs> you, you know, if I was still writing, yeah. And I, I listened to you guys have that conversation. Yep. The, I, the idea that the entirety of the Clone Wars was designed as a way to cloak the galaxy yep. in pain, yep. that is the among the best like root seeds for a fan fiction that oh, I've yeah. ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After Star Wars were uh, Dragon Ball Z, another anime... Which, was arguably the anime that got most people into anime, just as a side note, because it was very prevalent in the in the mid to late 90s. People were trading VCR tapes of, oh, I have this episode. Oh, you got that one? I got these two. Well, oh, really? You know what I mean? It was that kind of a that kind of a community. See, I would say I'm I hate to bring it up, but generationally speaking, I would say that what broke anime in North America would be science ninja team gachaman which came on as battle of the planets then probably battleship yamato which came on as star blazers both in the 1970s and the early okay. 1980s and then arguably 
Robotech, the uh, the adaptation of uh, Macross, the Southern oh Cross, and Genesis Climber Most Beta. They I really have not watched Robotech in so long. Well, it's on every streaming service going, so take your pick. It's it's out there and easily uh, consumable. God, that throws me way back. Yeah, and then rounding out the bottom of the list, Once Upon a Time, the <laughs> uh, the fairy tale uh, show. Which again is kind of a crossover, like all of the fairy tale characters fan in one place style yeah. show. <laughs> and then last on the top twenty, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which actually doesn't surprise me. That show is beloved by so many people. Yeah, I mean, and it spawned it's uh, what at least one spinoff with uh, Angel. Mm-hmm. Two? And What's the other one? Two, maybe I can't remember, but I thought there was something else. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the uh, the original, what the film with. Uh, I was going to say Helen Slater, but I don't think that's right. It was a film. Uh, Luke Perry was in it. Yes. Luke Perry and the female lead spawned the TV show. And then there was the talk about, did they do a Buffy movie with Sarah Michelle Gellar? So they never, I don't think they did a movie with her, but they, after they finished the series and after Angel was finished, yeah, uh, the guys who actually wrote the show went back and they wrote an entire new season okay. that is now, now being published as a comic book. There's a lot of that too with multimedia franchises where a lot of that stuff is filled in not on film or, or not on television. Well, and again, in, in, the, in the age of Kickstarter, that kind of thing can happen now. Whereas when we were a lot younger, you're never going to see more episodes of, you know, X show. Like, I'm never going to see more Samurai Pizza Cats. <laughs> We've talked about <laughs> that before. I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. You know, you know, if you had a really good idea. And one person listening it. right now went, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you owe it to yourself. Go back and watch Samurai Pizza Cats. Oh, that show boy. had so many fourth wall breaks. Yeah. Samurai Pizza Cats. Oh, yeah. Oh, so many jokes that I didn't get as a kid. No, no. Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the top 20 on fanfiction.net anyway. Yeah, it is. And it just goes to show you that, like, anything, there's there's books here, there's TV shows, there's movies, there's games, anime, manga, it, it runs the gamut. And it's literally just pulling that seed. Like, that that would make a good story. I would do this with that. And I, then you write it down. I don't know what the numbers are, but I can remember reading an article a few years ago where they talked about it. And it's no surprise that, like, there's you'd find inspiration in a number of sources, but I found it like shocking. Like when they talked about, you think the film industry is big and it makes a lot of money. The video game industry makes more money than film, music, and television combined. Oh, you know, yeah. like there is huge amounts of money that go into video games. So no surprise I... that they that they tend to be. And I know the. This isn't a, a great example, but look at the stuff that's coming out now. We've got this. You've got a Sonic the Hedgehog was arguably one of the most successful movies of 2020. I love that movie. And I don't know if that's maybe because of the state of the world that we live in right now with the with the global pandemic, but I think it's because it was it's the first video game movie that wasn't absolutely positively terrible. Yeah, because there have been so many of those. But that this one was actually had a, a modicum of quality, and also the fact that they did listen to the fans when they were like, "No, you need to change that character." Yeah, that's model the weirdest right thing too that 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 fan pressure caused the studio to go back and reanimate the entire movie. I know it bankrupted the studio. That's not a good thing. 
but the fact that they actually for the first time ever listened to fans yeah and changed it is why it was so successful and yeah it, it kind of goes back to how you guys were talking about you know the difference between kathleen kennedy's sequel trilogy and the filoni oh. favreau projects you mean the I, the... I really don't want to. I really don't want to go into it because you guys have episodes. No, you're right. Episodes. You're right. But the fact of the matter is, when you treat the subject matter with the respect that the fans feel it deserves, and you listen to your fans, and you go into it going, "All right, we want to make this for the people that love it." And so there, there we go. Like that right there encapsulates what we're talking about today with fan fiction. It's like, if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm going to do it myself exactly we're in the golden age of fan fiction right now there are so many like spec tv shows and movies that are being written again i'm gonna say it like i said it in the star wars show rogue one rogue one is the best fan fiction to be put to film ever it is good it does it does everything that a fan fiction does it fills plot holes it scratches the itch you want and it gives you something that you never thought you wanted you never thought you would see in that in that Darth Vader hallway scene yep yep terrifying Felony and Favreau did it with Boba Fett they turned him from a joke into the deadliest thing you've seen on film oh big and time they, and they completely redeemed this character that they felt was underused. I think you can really, uh, in in that respect, you can add Robert Rodriguez to that list for his direction of that episode because I think he really, going back to that episode, the the gallery episode where they talk about, where he says, you know, Boba Fett has to be all things to everybody in this one moment or else it's it's a failure. Yeah, it's, it's not worth it to even use him unless we pay off all of the disappointment that everyone has yep. ever felt about yep. this character. So that's happening. You, you got things like, uh, the, these, these are the ones that I wrote down. Uh, Galaxy Quest, arguably one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. That's the joke, isn't it? That Gal- Galaxy <laughs> Quest is the best Star Trek movie ever made? <laughs> well, and the Orville. You can't tell me that that's like, I love the Orville. It is the best Star Trek. You know that years. both of those properties come from a place of Star Trek love absolute love and joy. And, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's something to be said of, about the difference between a parody and a fan fiction, but it, I feel yep. that it comes from the same place. It's, it's, it's using an established IP in a new way. Of course and, it is. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing in the rules that says that fan fiction can't be funny. No, of course not. It's just a different application of the same concept. Yeah. And then you get something like, my, my favorite one that in recent days has been Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I did not read is, it. It's watch the movie. You'll enjoy it more. Did you ever see Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln Vampire, uh, Vampire Hunter. Yeah. Think, think of it sort of like That was fun. Yeah. I mean to me that's Pride, Prejudice and Zombies. Is it? Okay. Am I right, Eric? It's very close. Uh, it's, not just conceptually, but yeah. it's, it's it's a yeah, it's a it's very a his, close it's a historical take on yeah, okay. A, a very popular genre? Yeah, genre, yeah. right? That is doing well. It's like zombies in space. Zombies, or, uh, yeah, Nazi cow- zombies. Cowboys and, and aliens? Yeah. 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 Okay, right. I get it. That was a fun movie, too. It was all right. <laughs> 
this is the golden age of fan fiction. If you can dream it and pitch it to the right people, you can make it. We see it and, in the in the toy world too, where like a lot of uh, there's a there's this kind of maker movement right now, where especially with the advent of uh, 3D printing technology, that suddenly you know the average person can now put out a high quality reproduction or they can design a high quality print and and you've got basically basement toy makers who are arguably making better products than some of the big toy companies right and why is that because they care that's because and they love that's it. right because they love it and because yeah. the toy companies aren't giving them what they want yeah. so they're gonna make it themselves and i mean right a toy company is there's a bottom dollar that's right and they're like, well, you know what? You're not going to get that level of detail. Well, I can do that. Yeah, or you if... can do what uh, what the pop vinyl people did when they released those blanks. That oh, was the, uh, that was the greatest scam I've ever seen. That's it's, happened. It's just so oh. was it was it Funko that did that? Because I know that Hasbro Hasbro did a vinyl doll a few years before pops actually broke. They were called Mighty Mugs. Mm-hmm. They had like little mushroom heads. And yeah, yeah. they didn't like, unlike the pop vinyls, which have like unique sculpts and molds, the mighty mugs were literally a universal vinyl body. And it was only the paint scheme that differentiated the characters. <laughs> you can look them up. Mighty mugs actually made a comeback. And it's funny now that, that they've actually adopted a more uh, Funko pop vinyl look, but they have a gimmick where they have a rotating face gimmick. So Still not something that, that resonates with me, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the Funko ones. They they made, it's literally just a, a standard body with a standard head, and it's completely white. And sure. People took those things, and it's like, you haven't made Funko Pops from this series yet, yeah. so they started making them from that series. And then Funko's like, oh, people really like that. Maybe we should get the rights to it. So, well, that's it one thing this, that they're doing in spades. It became this weird money generation thing where it's like, what do people want? Why don't you make it for us? Oh, yeah, you yeah. want that? Here, we'll sell it to you. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's this is where I would go to get the demons out of my head for a long time. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad I got to share it with you guys. Well, I'm glad that you wanted to do the show, Eric. I, I have to tell you that uh, as somebody who, again, going back to my own experience with fan fiction and and writing for for role-playing adventures, I've often thought about, and I guess it taps into my own sort of interest now where I have a, I have a pretty big interest in the screenwriting process for film and for television. And, and no surprise that my first instinct is to go to established properties and try to write sequels for stuff that it's already close to me. So I can certainly appreciate it. Well, all I can say is that if you want to dip your toes in Pick a website, pick a show or a category or something yep. that's something you already like. Change the filter so that it sorts by, you know, number of reviews yeah. or number number of favorites. And just pick something off the first page. Okay. Just just dip your toes in. When, you, when, when you're sitting at, at, in bed and you can't quite get to sleep and you need something to occupy your brain for a half hour. Right on. Just sort by what's popular and then you can get into the weirder stuff from there. Well, listen, I just want to say thanks for wanting to come on the show today and talk to us about fan fiction and kind of what it means to you and and quite possibly what it means to other people, too. I, I hope that, uh, you know, for our listeners out there, that if the show resonates with you, 
drop us a line at our social media or send us an email at uh, fandompower2 at gmail.com and let us know about your favorite fan fictions and and maybe kind of give us some ideas of where we might want to go next. Hey, man, the world is your oyster. You just have to write it. Absolutely. Well, anyway, this is it, guys. I'm Wes for Fandom Power. And uh, until our next time, take care, everybody, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Nighty-night. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that, so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing, to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>